also I'm hyperventilating a little bit. If I fall over, pick me up because I've got some things to say. Though we adore men individually, we agree that as a group they're rather stupid. That men are essential for procreation, but when it comes to pleasure, unnecessary. Dinosaurs eat men. Woman inherits the earth. Safety lights are for dudes. Safety lights are for dudes. <laughs> well, put some skates on. Be your own hero. Hands in the air, Kristen. Yeah. Lord, please give it up for the dazzling vocal stylings of Miss Kimberly. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 71 of Citizen Dame. We're back. doing with our time stuff <laughs> things well, i know where i have been but i i want to know what what lauren and kim have been doing you know i'm assuming we're ending world hunger saving <laughs> the world i mean what have you been doing in our absence ladies while, while you were slutting it up in austin Slutting <laughs> um, up implies that I was flooding it up. Karen and I were lucky if we made it down the street. We did share a bed, but I, that's all I'm going to say about that. Slutting it up, squeaky bed with one with like three. Why was it so squeaky? The squeakiest bed I've ever slept on in my life. That was not like a camp cot. <laughs> They were truly out to get you, weren't they? Uh, Yes, and asking for a pillow was like a hell-worthy trespass, okay? They were like, how many pillows do you want? Why do you need them? Oh, did they ask you how many? Because they didn't even ask me. They were like, um, okay. Because I said, can we have some extra pillows? And the girl disappears, and then she comes back out with one pillow. (laughs) And I was just like, please, ma'am, may I have some more? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> More pillows. We'll, get, we'll get to south by in a second and all that i mean i mean i did get to get you know be near max Mingella, and i'm pretty sure that i dazzled him um hold also. on she was not near max Mingella. he touched her appropriately he touched me. appropriately no. but yeah slutting it up slutting it <laughs> up <laughs> I, I, like, we I feel I feel very funny that I missed an opportunity to talk to him about being near two of my husbands. So I think that's progress. <laughs> three three husbands if you count two army hammers and right. With twice the army hammer, twice the fun. Exactly. <laughs> but let's uh we got a couple things, couple topics we want to talk about uh before we get to South by and the movies that are out. Um so if you are a Netflix person, which I'm pretty sure we all are, correct? Oh, yeah. We all have Netflix, the dark yeah. streaming giant. There is a subscription, yes. <laughs> well, it turns out that they have decided to cancel One Day at a Time, the sitcom reboot of the 1970s television series that was getting all sorts of acclaim for having a Latinx cast. It had Rita Moreno. It was... had a devout following and for the last two years practically everybody's been trying to save it and this year Netflix decided to cancel it and they canceled it in the most hackneyed way possible by sending out a thread on Twitter talking about what a tough decision it was for them to decide whether to renew this series 
and that they have decided not to go forward. But if you felt seen or represented by the show, I guess go fuck yourself. I'm, I, I'm assuming that's what they said. So this was not surprising for me to hear. It was really just a matter of time. I was fortunate last year to interview um, Gloria Calderon-Colette, who is the creator of, of One Day at a Time. And they were talking about flying a plane. I interviewed them because they had bought um, a plane to fly an FYC campaign through the Los Angeles airspace to uh, get Justine Machado, who is the lead uh, Emmy nomination. They paid for that themselves. Netflix did not offer them an Emmy campaign. And I figured the writing was kind of on the wall by that point. that They never really felt the series was anything for them. And it's sad. It's sad, but it's not surprising. This is the network or the streaming company that still is very bro-centric, as evidenced by another movie we're going to be talking about today. They tend to go for the more salacious or the male-dominated stuff, stuff like Insatiable. As much as I love Maniac, that's still at times a very male-dominated series. Um, so How this... many times have I had to watch that Ted Bundy promo? Exactly. Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. It's a very sad turn of events, but I think it just goes to show that Netflix, despite being this place that wants to situate itself as, you know, the little engine that could, that's helping the little guy get their movie or their television show out there, they don't care. Um, and the fact that they don't release stats, they don't release numbers of how many people are watching any of their series. So if you're a showrunner, you have no idea what number you're supposed to aim for every year in terms of, of viewers. And we don't know if five people were watching one day at a time or five million people. And as we've seen with Filmstruck, why is five million people not enough? Especially on a streaming giant where they are literally printing money to greenlight everything. Um, so for me, this was not surprising, but it just goes to show you that as much as I, I think people love Netflix, they are still a corporation that has their own agenda and they really don't care about the little guy. They don't care about diversity. They care what's going to make them money. One um, of the things... Oh, sorry. Oh, no, no, go on. Go on. I was done with my point. One of the things I'd really like to know and see with Netflix is not just their numbers for individual shows. And I said this on Twitter, too. It's not just what, they, what they're seeing on individual shows, but... Um, their overall, I'd like to see their overall subscriber numbers because it seems like a lot of the shows that apparently have low viewership are with, you know, women or people of color or both. And I'm just curious, like, is it because the subscribers of Netflix are predominantly white? Like, what's going on there? And where are some areas of outreach that can be done? You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I agree with that. One of the really dodgy things I think about all this is exactly that is the the lack of the lack of any kind of transparency, not even the transparency that you usually get on your regular cable networks. Um, to know, like, okay, so this has dropped in ratings over the past year, you know, so it, it makes more sense to a viewer to an analyst to be like, okay, it makes sense then that they're gonna cancel this show. But when you don't even have that, when you have absolutely no understanding of like, okay, what does this mean? Who was watching this? Who wasn't watching it? And and how do we analyze that? It, it's next to impossible to actually talk about it. I think the other problem that Netflix has is that they've 
they've cultivated this um, the the binge watch, and there are certain types of shows that don't really fit into the binge watch. And one of them is something like One Day at a Time, which does play like a pretty straightforward mm-hmm. sitcom. There are um, there are you know through lines and there are plot lines that run through the episodes, but it's not like you can watch an episode of One Day at a Time and then stop and come back to it tomorrow or come back to it in a week, which isn't what Netflix has cultivated, which is to watch the entire show in one sitting or in two sittings. So, you know, episode after episode after episode. And that in itself, I think, is prejudicing um, shows like One Day at a Time because you get people who put them on their cues or decide like, oh, I want to watch this but I might only watch one episode or I, I might not get to it for the next, you know, two years or something like that. And, and because of the, because of what Netflix has cultivated, those sorts of shows fall through the cracks. They get treated like they are secondary in some way that they're not, um, uh, they're not the kind of show that they want to promote. They're not the kind of show that they want to run Emmy campaigns for all of that stuff. And whereas, something like one day at a time would do brilliantly on NBC or ABC, but not so much on, on Netflix because of the partially because of the way that Netflix promotes things, but also just because of the nature of Netflix as a streaming service. Yeah. I would really hope that a a network would want to pick it up because we've seen that Netflix swoops in like the great white Knight and puts these shows on their streaming service. What would happen if the opposite was true? If a network decided to come in and save a Netflix show? You know, we haven't seen that yet. And I want to know what that would do to Netflix to realize that, you know what, they are just one platform of many. I would like that happen. I just saw Lin-Manuel Miranda put out a great tweet at some point today pointing out it would be perfect in the ABC Wednesday Night lineup it's it's right there it would be a perfect fit and i i'm right there with you Kristen. i would love to see that happen Mm -hmm. well and it fits it even fits with the way that abc has been sort of going they have modern family they've got fresh off the boat they've got those sort of family sitcoms that are about different slices of american society and this would fit in brilliantly with them but well and modern family's getting canceled next year it could be a good replacement yeah no exactly exactly and it would it would prove exactly what you're saying, Kim. That like, or and and Kristen, that they um, uh, that these networks would actually be like, hey, Netflix is one of us, versus Netflix is this you know disruptor or whatever else they want to advertise themselves as. Because they're not. I mean, they're they're a company. They're trying to make money. They're trying to make as much money as possible, and they're just going to get rid of things no matter how popular or how much people love them because they're not making the right amount of money or they're not getting the right kind of viewers or the right number of viewers. Well, now we have Disney getting ready to jump into the streaming arena and, you know, they're getting ready to flex their muscles. And I've and read so much buying up all of Hulu too. Exactly. I've read so much analysis talking about, you know, you really don't want to be that number two and that number three streamer. And what Disney has, you know, coming, which is probably making them all shake in their boots. So Netflix is going to be flexing their muscles to get what they can in. And a little 
show like this apparently doesn't apparently doesn't fit in their scheme when I believe tell me if I'm wrong I saw articles that they paid a hundred million to keep friends the same week when they when they were yeah. talking about the amount of money that you know they were losing on one day at a time well and that's where it would be really beneficial to see numbers because I know I watch friends reruns on Netflix all the time and I know a lot of my friends do like my generation does. And so let's look at what are the, what, what are the demographics of Netflix? Is it primarily white middle-aged people? Cause that would tell a lot about the shows that are being mm-hmm. watched and, and how to, how to change things and how, where to start trying to attract new viewers and, and different, potentially different models for Netflix. Maybe they need to have different options. Like maybe there's, maybe they need to have a price point that is just TV shows or something, you know, to try to attract different people if they're not getting those subscribers now. It's, it's sad. Again, if you look at some of the television shows that have been greenlit for multiple seasons already on that service, Mm -hmm. and one day at a time, a show which is, critically acclaimed by the people that have been able to access it and has has broken so many barriers to not get that type of attention again a network would have would have been promoting the hell out of this there would have been mm-hmm. any campaigns for this i think mm-hmm. but there are a lot of shows that are critically acclaimed even on networks that end up failing and it's unfortunate right. and it all comes down to viewers and it all comes down to what their bottom line is and i'm not trying to defend netflix necessarily in this i think it's really too bad that they didn't give it more time but this is where it's like if they really want to to show people that it's not cost effective they need to start sharing their numbers they have to yeah exactly they they can't continue to act like on the one hand that they're they're you know a regular network and that they're competing with all of the big boys and on the other hand, acting like, oh, we don't have to do things the way that regular networks do. You have, you, they have to choose up sides eventually. And so they have, to, they have to be willing to release their numbers and show where the hell they get them also. Like, how do you yeah. know who is viewing what and when? And, you know, the, and what the demographics are. You know, are you talking about a single family account or are you talking about, you know, individual people 18 to 25, like you're saying, Karen? And, and there has to be some kind of accounting of that. Mm-hmm. Well, and maybe some of their shows don't need to, like what you were saying earlier, Lauren, too, maybe some of their shows don't need to be released all at once. Maybe they do have some where they should just follow a Hulu model and it becomes kind of a, oh, good, Wednesday there's a new episode of this or that, you know. It could be really beneficial, but unless they release those numbers and let people analyze the viewing habits of their subscribers, we're never going to know what the answer is. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, some of those shows are exhausting. I find some of those shows exhausting to binge. Like, I'm still, people are really aggravated at me. It's taking me a long time to get through you. You know, Mindhunter, I can't binge. So it's, I I love the Hulu model of dropping it weekly. Which is the network model. (laughs) Mm -hmm. True, true. So speaking of accountability, (laughs) If you didn't know over the week, while we were at South by, it was actually pretty funny because this broke while Karen and I were at South by Southwest. She had read one article and then I had read another article and we did not realize they were the same scandal. Yeah. (laughs) 
So it's been really funny to watch all this play out. So Operation Varsity Blues. I will never not find that title hilarious. Like, I want to know the guy that sits down and comes up with these covert sting operation titles. I want to know what goes <laughs> into that. Like, is it just any random movie that vaguely conforms to something? You know, like if it's a drug bust, do they call it Operation Scarface? I don't know. I want that job. I want to know more about it. Uh, but, if, <laughs> but if you didn't know, uh, over the last week, it has turned out that celebrities and wealthy people were bribing colleges to admit their children. I know. What? I know. No. That doesn't happen. No, Literally no information. That, that hasn't been they... happening since college was invented. Why couldn't they just pay for a building like everyone else? I, was, I, was, I think exactly. many a person has said, said that exactly. buy a library like everybody else's parents did. Okay, my mother funded a cafeteria in order to get me into my elite state school. <laughs> Turns out that, yes, uh, wealthy people were paying millions of dollars to a specific quote-unquote nonprofit to ensure that children were going to gain admission to uh, elite universities by either having their SAT or ACT scores inflated, bribing college coaches to pass these kids off as athletes, um, all sorts of asinine stuff that was happening. And caught up in all of this is Felicity Huffman and Lori Laughlin. And this is like Dumb Crimes the movie. Um, I know people are saying they're waiting for Sofia Coppola to make this movie. I don't think Sofia would find this to be that fascinating. Like, because this is the <laughs> group of people that are assembled, okay? Mm. Uh, all of these conversations are, like, obviously recorded, and you're hearing about these parents having to lie to their children about their SAT scores. These poor kids, some of them actually were like, maybe I should take the test again and I'm going to do even better because my score was super high. Um, <laughs> we've learned all about Lori Laughlin's daughter who doesn't care about school. So I'm sure she's incredibly happy that she doesn't have to go anymore. Um, but for me, the reason why I wanted to bring this up is not only because it's just like, this has been happening for decades. It's just a bunch of people got caught. But almost immediately, Lori Laughlin got dropped from every single show she has worked on. And it was instantaneous. My problem is, and it's it's hard not to see it for what it is, Lori Laughlin bribed some people to get her kid into college. Okay, wrong? Yes. Mother trying to get her kid into college? I mean, it's fine. Um... Compared to Brian Singer, who is a rapist and child molester, who is given multi-million dollar movies and everybody seems to not care that he's allowed to make movies, I just find it a bit disturbing that she got fired from everything within like 48 hours of this breaking and Brian Singer and all the other horrible people in the world who are men just keep getting to do what they want in Hollywood. Was I the only one who's just like, really? Really, that's where we're going to draw the line in the sand in terms of whether you can keep your job here in this industry? Well, my thing was um, more because, like, some of the things that started coming out were, you know, like, remember the woman who used her father's address to get her kids into a better school district? Oh, my God, yeah. jail for it, you know? And it's like, 
it's not just I mean I agree with you Kristen I totally hear what you're saying and the the fact that so many men are able to continue doing really terrible things to people and then this woman gets arrested and loses all of her jobs but it's like it's more than that this is very much a classist racist thing that is being exposed that these people they'll probably never spend a single day in jail um at the most they'll plead this out maybe some of them will get house arrest they'll pay some fines and that's it and meanwhile there are people who who are just lying about where they live because they want their kids to have a chance and they're going to prison for it it's it's sickening yeah exactly i i'm i mean i i'm kind of i'm with both of you i do i do think that it's indicative that someone like Lori Lachlan or Felicity or um, Felicity Huffman loses jobs because you know they they committed a crime. I mean, it's a pretty big crime too. They defrauded mm-hmm. major universities and they they federal also, charges. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> they, they. I mean, the FBI showed up at her house. Uh, so they, these are not minor. This is not a minor thing, and and it does need to be punished, and and it should be punished because. Um, you know, be- because it's not it's not okay. Right. Uh, uh, but on the other hand, you know, and, and we were even just joking about it. Well, why didn't they just fund a library or a performing arts center or something like that? So there, and that's what a lot of people have been talking about. That there are all of these ways that rich people and that particularly rich white people get give their kids every single opportunity that they can possibly have, and even then, sometimes the kids fuck up, right? But every single opportunity every single privilege every even bending the rules and breaking the rules in order to give them opportunities and and they're gaming the system that is already set to their advantage uh meanwhile you've got all of these people who and you know i i i worked as a um i worked as a a writing coach at a, a, a liberal arts college and i worked primarily with ESL kids and kids that were in HEOP programs and these are and these are kids who are like the best of the best when it came to their public schools and they were still struggling and they were still working incredibly hard some of them came from really terrible circumstances and they were so excited and so like thrilled to be in this space where they were actually going to excel and many of them were you know first generation or many of them were the they were the first person in their family ever to go to college and you look at that, and those are the kids that deserve help, and those are the kids that deserve a leg up, not these spoiled mm-hmm. little rich kids. Who, the social media influencers. Exactly, who just, mm-hmm. some of whom don't even want to be in college, right? And and that's what made me so mad about, about everything that was happening, was that, like, these kids who are never going to have to work for anything in their lives, they are going to have money no matter what. Even exactly. if they never go to college, they never go to university, they never get a fucking job. They have trust funds. They have the support of very wealthy parents. They're never going to have to work. And they're getting space that could be filled by kids that are that do have to work and that don't get anything handed to them. The kids who have been out there working their asses off for four years in high school to do it. Exactly. exactly. And, and even then, very often get pushed out because of kids. Exactly. Because of these wealthy white kids. And that's really what what made me mad is is that we've accepted this at some level, 
And really, these people got caught because they didn't go about bribery the right way. And that's what it feels mm. like. Well, and I think, too, what irritates me, obviously, is that these kids were actively subverting the disability loopholes that exist in these schools, asking yeah. extra time yes. to take tests so that they could cheat and have either the proctor help them with their test or do it for them. And as somebody who's been told repeatedly that I ask for entitlements, that I demand certain things, this just makes those people who genuinely need that extra time and have those disabilities, it makes it harder for them to gain the stuff that they need in order to take tests. You know, many people, I, I never needed um, extra accommodations like that, but many, many students do. They don't do well in a testing environment for some reason, mm -hmm. or they just uh, are slow to read the questions and to do out their thought processes. My, my best friend had trouble um, writing longhand for long periods of time and needed time to um, write slower so that he wouldn't tire himself out. I mean, there are valid reasons for it, but to hear these kids not only feel entitled, their parents too, not only feel entitled that they should go to a top tier school by any means necessary, but that they should use those same entitlements. Funny how able-bodied people want all these things when they realize there's a benefit for them. But like when I ask for it, it's like, well, you can go fuck yourself. Um, so it just, it makes me really, really mad. But again, these are things that people have been doing for decades, gaming the system. So it's not anything surprising or shocking. It's just, they got caught. The thing with this, I found really interesting too, to play out kind of as it was coming together, the difference in kind of going back to the gender thing, um, William H. Macy and then Lori Laughlin's husband, uh, Massimo, again, I couldn't even begin to pronounce his last name. I mean, in William H. Macy, it's came out, has, isn't, you know, isn't facing charges. It sounds like if he knew he wasn't in favor of it. But I remember the day that was breaking. People were talking about how interesting it is that, you know, these women are getting thrown up front. You know, they're the face of these scandals when, you know, they had husbands there equally involved. I think what they're saying, as of, as of what I heard last time, that the men were involved but were not recorded doing anything, either making the deals or taking the bribes. That's what I had heard. Now, they could be admitted as, like, accessories after the fact or, or um, you know, maybe depending on if anybody's been offered a deal, you know, who knows if somebody's going to flip on the other. I don't know. Um, Ooh, that'd be a movie. Well, one thing too is that spouses can't be compelled to testify against each other. That's so. very true. So yeah, what what I had heard though was that especially in in um, in Lori Laughlin's case, she was actually recorded knowingly taking bribes and sending bribes through the mail, which is why she got charged with I think mail fraud. Uh, right. But but there was no proof that their husbands uh, knew in the sense that they weren't recorded. They were present at meetings, but they were not on any recorded devices talking about or doing anything illegal. They were just in the room where it happened. Yeah. So throw out my Hamilton reference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's very true. And this is the thing to remember, too, is that, um, yes, going back to your original point, Kristen, 
um, it is frustrating that these kind of cases go forward and yet other ones, particularly like sex crimes and stuff, don't. But there's a whole mountain of, of very tangible evidence that makes it very easy to prosecute in, right, this, in right. this case. Right. So the question then becomes, because everybody's talking about it, who do we see ultimately directing the biopic. <laughs> Cohen Brothers. What? The Cohen yeah. Brothers. Yeah. Cohen Brothers. Right there. And I demand that William H. Macy and Felicity Huffman play themselves. Yes. In the oh, Cohen Brothers direction. I would pay money for that. I demand oh, it. It is amazing. the least they can do for society. That's all I, that's all I have I to just, say. I was going to say Sofia Coppola and just take the same cast from the bling ring because it's essentially the same thing and just have them replay all the characters regardless of whether they actually look like them. So like have Emma Watson play Lori Laughlin's daughter. I, I'm assuming you would get the same thing. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Kim, you got any suggestions? I'm with Lauren on the Coen brothers. I think that would be priceless. <laughs> That could be pretty fun. That would be pretty, that would be pretty fun. Um, so yeah. Yorgos Lanthimos. Yorgos Lanthimos. It would be way too sexy of a scandal, though. Or would <laughs> It would be super well, sexy, but also someone would be trying to kill someone else to, like... That's true. Either keep that's them true. quiet or as blackmail to get their kid in or, yeah. We've just hold, entered a whole new interesting territory with that suggestion there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That would be that would be awesome. I want that. I want the Yorgos Lanthimos version, actually. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we do have so, uh, a quick question that we got on the last episode. We didn't have time to do uh, to discuss it. I want to have time really quick. It's from at Nanina Gilder. This was regarding um, I, the Ryan Adams, Harvey Weinstein and uh films that deal with men being used by social climbing women um so she asked i find the prevalence of movies about powerful men being taken advantage of by unknown young women to be very distasteful and damaging and the lack of a conversation about how painful it is for a woman just starting out in a career to realize that she's just a body to a man that she really respects what movies can you think of that really explored the woman's side of this interestingly the only one i can really think of is legally blonde Ooh. That's tough. That is tough. I think Nanina gave us a stumper. And yet yeah, we've we, had two weeks, so we have no excuse for not having a good answer. <laughs> Legally Blonde really is the only one that I was able to come up with either. Like, I was just thinking about it, like, where it actually takes the woman's side. Um, right, right. In that kind of a situation yeah. when her mentor, you know, uses her and, and, it, and it comes out that he's using her. Can I say showgirls? Because it sounds like showgirls would work. <laughs> I feel like showgirls would work because, like, Elizabeth Berkeley's character knows that she's being used, and she says "fuck that," and then she meets a man topless, and then like goes off into the sunset, happy that she has made her own decisions in life. I'm gonna say showgirls. I don't know if that answers your question, but I'm gonna say it. And I stand by it. <laughs> I love that Showgirls is slowly being reinvented as like this feminist masterpiece. It is. It's just like actually never gonna stop trying. It is a feminist masterpiece. I'm not gonna. It is a feminist masterpiece. How dare you? No, no, no. I mean, I can think of some that are like 
revenge movies, but those don't really fit into what she's talking about, so. The, the closest <sighs> like, I Like, I mean, can... maybe I could take this opportunity to just talk about how much I love 9 to 5 again, but that's not really yes. the same thing. <laughs> well, how I just saw that movie for the first time two weeks ago. And you wish that you had seen it years ago because you've I did. got a lot yeah, of yeah. feet watching to catch up on. It's it's a really good movie. It's great. <laughs> it is a great movie. I can't believe that it's taking you this long to see it. I'm sorry. Okay. Karen will tell you all about the movies I haven't watched, and I can tell you about all the movies she hasn't watched. Um, not about all of them. Uh, I can <laughs> tell about one movie that you just saw for the first time, like three weeks, like a week, a month ago. Yes, it's true. I finally just got around to watching Inside Lewin Davis. <laughs> if you all could have been in the car with me when I when she said she's all something, I, there's a movie I haven't seen, and I was I forget what we were talking about, and I was like, wait, have you not seen Inside? We were talking about Coen Brothers. That's movies. right. Yeah. And I was saying that I love the Coen brothers, but I don't actually love that many of their specific movies. And then that came And then I so. said, well, Inside Lewin Davis is great. And then you just looked at me quizzically and I said, wait, have you not seen that? I did not look quizzically. I just was very <laughs> quiet. And you picked up on the fact that I was not responding and said, wait a minute. And I said, how wait. dare you never see the movie that made me love my husband? Okay. I'm just I'm just gonna say of all the Cohen Brothers movies to miss, I can understand <laughs> missing that one. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm yeah. with you, Kim. That is not <laughs> Thank you. one that so is just much. that I care for. I did really like it though. It was good. Anarchy. So much anarchy on the podcast <laughs> today. I mean, tell me more about your recent viewing of Big, Kristen. Oh wait, I you haven't seen it. <laughs> Jumping Jack Flash for the first time, okay? I'm working through it. Penny Marshall directed seven films. I There's know. no excuse not to have seen them all. I think I've seen six. It's literally the last one. And it's her second best one. I've tried. I've tried. I did my best, damn it. <laughs> you both, it's, it's available so many places, you have no excuses. Anyway. Speaking of women, uh, before we get to South By, um, let's talk about Cat Marvel. Because we didn't get to talk about it when when it came out. Karen and I have a car critique that we will be- We do. It's going to be available by the time you hear this episode. Woohoo! Um, so yeah, we, we've all seen it. Did you say, I hope? <laughs> no, I said, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> I hope, probably. We've all seen Cat Marvel, um, and we where do we all land on it? I know Karen, you loved it. I thought it was okay. Um, Lauren, where where did you fall on it? Uh I mean I I, I wrote the review that's that's now that's on right? the website and I I have actually come to love it even more the more that I have thought about it. I have seen it now twice and I have kind of traveled on it. I kind of started out more along your lines, Kristen, in that kind of middling to fine category. And I liked it so much more the second time through. I loved it the second time. Maybe I need to see it again. Um, I, I thought it was just yep. okay, but, but Karen will tell you, I, 
am not a big Marvel person. I do prefer the standalone movies as opposed to the big world-building Marvel films. And for me, I think the movie really suffers from having to lead into Endgame. So they have to be able to balance both her standalone story and all the shit we have to get out in order Agreed. to Endgame happen. And so the, the push and pull, I felt really felt like it made this movie feel like it was in a state of flux. Um, but I, I did love Brie Larson. I thought she was great. Um, I don't care what people say. The music cues, you can say they were on the nose, but I thought they were awesome. And I did, I did like it, but I wanted to love it. Like, that's the thing. And, and I know it's not worthy to compare, compare this and Wonder Woman, because they are two different movies. But where Wonder Woman left me emotional, I wanted that same feeling, and I didn't get it here. Um, but you can all proceed to tell me why I'm wrong. Uh, well, you're wrong. So, <laughs> which is which is normal for you, Kristen. So that's okay. You know, I don't think there's a problem with that. Um, no, I I actually I I personally completely get where you're coming from in that. And one of the things that threw me off about the film was probably the first twenty minutes when you're yeah plunged, the weakest part. Yeah, and you're plunged so immediately into this. For, for me, you know, to, totally foreign world. You know, did I remember who the fuck the scrolls were? No. Do I remember who the Kree were? No. Do I remember, like, most of what is happening in that whole section? I was just like, I'm not, I don't know what's happening, guys. What's going on? And so it took me a while to get into that. I think one of the anchoring points of that was Brie Larson and her performance and her just presence on the screen. That, like, she kind of guided, just as an actress, she guides you through it. I think that, I mean, the film really does pick up when it, you get to Earth and you get the introduction of Nick Fury, who is, is I, I love Samuel L. Jackson in that part. And I love that, that this film actually gave him a lot to do, which he hasn't had that much to do in a lot of the other films. He's just sort of there and he's cool. But in this, he got to be funny. He got to be sort of inept sometimes, but also badass. And he, he almost stood in for the audience of learning what the hell is going on. Um, his rapport with, with Brie Larson is the highlight of the movie. Yeah, it, it's, it plays like a buddy movie for part of the film. It's great. Uh, and so, and that's really, I think, where the film finally picks up. And, um, and you begin to get more involved with the character. You begin to understand her motivation more and her sort of seeking after, um, you know, understanding who she is and where she comes from and what happened to her and what these dreams of hers mean and all that. And so I... I I agree that it did initially it did not give me the same sense of just like energized badassness that Wonder Woman did but it actually for me it built to it so by the time you get to the final confrontation then I was there then I was like this is this is that point but I, I think it is partially the difference between the two characters um, when you're introduced to Wonder Woman in at, at the beginning of her film, she's already, you know, this brilliant warrior. She's already learning to be the person that she is. Captain Marvel, she's not there yet. She doesn't know who she is. And she's ha she's basically having to figure out what is going on with her and what what the truth is and what the lies are in in her in what she perceives as her entire existence. And so she has a very different arc. So by the time you do get to that final confrontation, it, it's it's much more emotional 
at that point because you see everything that she's gone through and all the disillusionment that she's gone through and her finally being dedicated to doing the right thing. Uh, and also just in letting herself loose. I really liked that element of the narrative about um, her letting her emotions not control her, but be a part of her in a way that she was being told that she shouldn't. And uh, I, and I really liked that the film put so much emphasis on that, that her power comes from her emotions, um, which is very feminine, and it's very often the things that women are told not to do, but it, it becomes her greatest strength. And I, I really liked that about the film. All about Samuel Jackson singing Mr. Postman. I mean, come on. <laughs> awesome. And who's the dishes. cat? And cooing at a little kitty. <laughs> oh my gosh. That him and that cat yes. were just so damn delightful. That that so, was yeah. that was amazing. So sweet. Yeah. Well and and I just I, I love so many things about the movie. Like, I mean I could sit here and just rehash or just say ditto to everything Lauren said, and I'm not gonna do that. But for me, it was very much just like I love the 90s nostalgia, but I love that I didn't feel like it was just I was being attacked by it, like in something such as Ready Player One, where I felt like exhausted from seeing all these things. And instead, I felt like I was just watching a movie in the 90s. You know, it just it it didn't feel like it was just being pummeled. And I love the soundtrack. You know, I just love those little touches. And I love things like... um, it feels very feminine, but not, it's kind of funny because all these men were making such a big, you know, they're whining about, oh, social justice, blah, 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 girls. And it, it felt very feminine. It felt very, but like a strong, you know, like the term that I'm tired of, but strong feminine character. And she's awesome, but it, it just, it, she felt so grounded and so real. And that, is because the script was written by women. It was co-directed by a woman. You know, it, this is a character that was brought to life by women who understand women. And it was just so refreshing. And I'm so glad. It shouldn't have taken this long to get Captain Marvel. There's no reason why it took them the whole 10 years, or now 11 years, that, that they've been doing this. But I'm so glad that when they finally did it, they did it right. I am loving, has anybody noticed there's a lot of uh, queer theory happening with the uh, Maria Rambeau character and Carol Danvers? I'm I'm kind of digging all that. Has anybody else seen that or is it just me being on the Twitter? Yeah, I've seen a bit of it. Yeah, I, I'm loving it. It's pretty awesome. I wish they developed that a bit more. It's Disney though. They're not, you know, they think progress oh. is making Wafu a little effeminate in the live action. I mean, the the main the main major relationship in that film is between her and uh, and Maria and their and mm -hmm. her daughter and Monica, right? That's that's, that's their yeah. family. They, I mean, the way that it's depicted, at least in the flashbacks, it looks like they raised that little girl together. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, that's what it looks like. There's no so yeah. I mean, I I've seen a number of you know memes going like Harold, they're lesbians, and it's kind of like. I mean, I, I don't see anything that would contradict that at all. And in fact, I see a lot that would reinforce it. So, 
Yeah. I mean, it could be either way. And that's the thing, too. You have to remember, this movie is set in 1995. Carol had been gone for several years. And if they were together, that's something that wouldn't have been allowed. That would have gotten them kicked out of the military. Mm-hmm. This is even... Because they would have been together pre-Don't Ask, Don't Tell, even. So... It's very possible, and I mean, if they want to go that route, cool, whatever, that's fine. Um, right now, they're not boxed in. They, they can go either way with it. It reminded me of that kind of, that strong bond, that strong relationship that you see in something like an Ocean's 8, where it's not necessarily talked about, not necessarily spelled out, but you've they've achieved such a chemistry, you could actually focus on the relationship between these two women. And this is... This is a rarity still explored on screen. We don't mm-hmm. get to see close female friendships. So often close female bonds were so often pitted against each other as competition. Yeah. Well, and I had thought about that because when I first started seeing the suggestions that Carol and Maria were together, I was just like, why can't they just be really close friends that have this bond? And then I thought, but why do they have to be? Marvel does not currently have any LGBTQ characters. It's fine. You know, like I'm I'm good either way, whichever way they want to go with it. Well, I do think it would be pretty impressive if Marvel came down on the side of like the pretty much one of the universe's most powerful people is a lesbian. Like. Mm-hmm. That would just be very entertaining, and it would really piss off a lot of men. Oh, it piss off so oh, many men, uh, and <laughs> I, I would just I would pay just for that. But I mean, I I understand <laughs> that you know the LGBTQ community also are frustrated because there is that kind of like, well, are they or aren't they? You know, and and at a certain point, you're like, guys, at some point, you have to have a, a hero or a heroine who is explicitly gay or explicitly bi at least, you know, to have some kind of representation because mm-hmm. the whole, like, you know, um, the, the whole concept of queer baiting is just tired and we've been doing it for a long time and movies don't need to do it anymore. It's okay. We can have gay heroes. It's fine. And that's not going to take away from them. In fact, it would be very powerful. Anything this movie forced Karen and I to quasi argue about Jude Law for several minutes because because you're wrong again. Because he is hot. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, oh, Jude Law is totally hot in this film. <laughs> Thank you. Can I just say, suit wearing Ben Mendelsohn. That is all. <laughs> Apparently, I was just watching a completely different movie because I. <laughs> I'm not understanding the Jude Law thing. Like, I understood it in 99, but in 2019, I'm just not getting it. And, like, I was seeing numerous tweets about, like, him he in a looks room, and I was just exactly like, the same, what is happening? So no, he does not look exactly the same. <laughs> he, looks, he looks just like he did. Just a having, little bit more maturity in his face. That's it. Having perfect. just watched him as Dumbledore, he was he was hot in the. He's looking better in this film. I don't know what they did, but they de-aged Samuel L. Jackson by twenty five years. So that's. <laughs> I mean, he looked good, but I, I don't know where that came from. Oh, it's so natural. Like that's just what he looks like now. I can say that because I have seen him in person. I need to meet him. Slutting it up as usual. Yeah, and I mean, he's, he's like, we were he's, at a hotel, but yeah. that's all I can say. <laughs> 
he is fit in that movie too. That's yes. that's the other thing. Like, I mean, there's there's no doubt that there's there's a little bit of that working for him. You know, he used to be quite skinny. Now he's like, man, it's working. He's ripped. Like, are and, we and all talking about the same cute law? Like, what is happening here? Yes, that is. I mean, I don't know how you can miss the I fact don't... that he is fit. Like, whether or not you find I him attractive. Agree. Like, what what is going on here, Kristen? I don't get it. I here's here's what I think Sorry. was happening. I think the whole time we were watching Captain Marvel, she just kept thinking about when's Killmonger gonna show up? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, spoiler well, alert: He does not. Yeah, spoiler alert: He no. was like twelve at the time. Yeah, yeah. That, that would actually have been like awesome. <sighs> Speaking of things that didn't show up, so we were at South by Karen and I. We went to South. We by. showed up for South by. We showed up for South by. We had such innocent, golden, wide-eyed dreams of fine Austin barbecue and. Here I can here I can sum up I can sum up the trip this way. When I was on my very last leg of my flight home, the pilot the fl- the flight didn't leave when it was supposed to. We were already boarded. The pilot comes on the intercom and announces that we're delayed because they couldn't find the door to the plane and had to call maintenance. And I was very concerned because usually I I believe the plane, the door is attached to the plane. Um, But they had to call someone to come and put the plane door back on so that we could take off. And everyone's just kind of confused. And I started laughing hysterically. And the woman next to me just looked at me like, what is going on? And I said, you know, this is actually the most fitting end to the week that I have just had. Yeah. They found the door, <laughs> by the way. We, we were such innocent <laughs> summer children before we left for South we Fire. Were. And then we came home tired, hardened, and hating everything with a twang. Um, so South Fire kind of sucked. Um, much of that had to do more with the actual logistics of the festival than the content. Um, and I don't know yeah. how deeply we want to get into all of that right now. Uh, but I don't think we need to. <laughs> Just know that the festivals that are, that people organizing festivals that may be listening to this... Just know that if you're going to make a festival and make a big deal about being inclusive, get a consultant that has some kind of mobility accessibility needs to come in and tell you where your problems are. Hi. That's going to solve My it. name is Kristen Lopez, and I have some kind of mobility accessibility needs, and I can help you <laughs> with your film festival. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, pros, though. Let's see. Karen got barbecue. That was pretty I did finally get barbecue. Um, we got... On what our last day, I think we got to watch Justin <laughs> Thoreau play a salty sea captain on the television. Oh my gosh, that room. was amazing! What was hilarious is that that had nothing to do with South Not at Southwest, all. <laughs> but we didn't care because it was fantastic. It was fantastic. I've watched that episode seven times since I've been home. Um, <laughs> Not surprised. No, um, the movies we saw were good. I think we saw everything we saw except for one movie was good. Was great yes. to uh, to excellent. Um, there was one movie that was outright terrible. Matthew McConaughey, you know what you did. Um, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I have to tell a story. So I was at a party 
the day after we saw, I'm going to say it, the beach bum. It's awful. And um, I was at a party and I was talking to a publicist friend of mine and he was asking me, well, what else have you seen at South by so far? And I was just like, oh my gosh, I saw the beach bum last night and I'm like raising my hand to do like a big old thumbs down. And he goes, oh, hey, look out behind you. And because we were standing kind of close to the bar and I look over my shoulder because I figure, oh, someone's about to like bump into me where I'm standing. And I turn and it's Matthew McConaughey. And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> friend was just like I totally saved you that was like watching a car wreck about to happen you owe me big time and I was like Karen we have to tell Lauren about the movie that she needs to see when it comes out um so yes do you want me to tell her or do you want um I it's up to you we we thought of you Lauren while we were at South by and there is a movie put on your radar we saw a paranormal paranormal yeah paranormal romantic comedy that is like made for you and it has probably the most perfect rom-com ending of any rom-com I have ever seen and it's tailor-made for Lauren Humphreys Brooks. Ooh. It's pretty okay. it's pretty hilarious. So, yeah. I'm going to have I'm going to have a review on the website soon um about it, but yeah. The movie is extraordinary. Yes, extraordinary. Okay. Um, and it's got, it is the only movie you will see about Satanists and virgin sacrifice and romantic comedy <laughs> and two outcasts just trying to make a love connection. <laughs> it's Basically, the, the very basic plot summary is that um, there's this woman, Molly. It's set in Ireland. Ireland or England? It's, I think it's, I thought it was. I think it's Ireland. I don't know. Anyway, two somewhere in the places, UK. Guys. <laughs> they are very different places. I'm pretty sure it's Ireland, but um, it's, I'm pretty sure it's it's Ireland. It's Ireland. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, because the directors are Irish, so that would make sense. Anyway, um, so Molly is a she run she owns a driving school, so she teaches kids how to drive basically. But it turns out that she has this past. Because she worked with her dad when she was a kid, and she is very psychic. And so a lot of people come to her. They still know that she has this gift, and so they contact her to try to get her to help them connect with the people that they love that have passed away. And she ends up kind of getting drawn back into it after swearing she would never do that again because of something that went horribly wrong as a child. And But then this guy that she thinks is kind of cute... He contacts her because his wife is hanging around and um, then there's a subplot. Well, not a subplot. It ends up being kind of the main plot with Will Forte as an evil Satanist who is selling his soul and doing sacrifices so that he can get a number one hit record. So it's fantastic. (laughs) It's so good. Like, I don't know if that sold you on it at all, but... Lauren, it's it, it was made for you. <laughs> All right, I will keep an eye out for it. Definitely. Oh yeah. We, we saw a lot of we saw a lot of really good movies. Um, it, it, it's worth it to recommend one apiece, Karen. What do you think? We we both we mutually okay. endorse extraordinary, but what's one that you wanna you wanna bring up that you think people should keep an eye out for? My very favorite movie that we saw actually has a release date 
of May 24th, which is unfortunately the same weekend as Aladdin, so it's going to get totally lost. And that is Olivia Wilde's directorial debut, Booksmart. Booksmart is awesome. It's so great. It's so funny. It's a raunchy teen comedy, but it's a smart one. It's like a realistic version of Superbad. It's about two really funny girls that remind me so much of me and my best friend when we were in high school. And because they're like these straight, straight, straight laced girls that, you know, they're friends with the school librarian, you know, and and they decide they want to have some fun on their very last night of high school. And of course, hijinks ensue. It's so funny. Olivia Wilde, I cannot wait to see what more she does as a director because she's, it's a fantastic debut. So great. Karen, can you guess what I'm going to say was my favorite movie of South by Southwest? Yep. I sure can. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure it's the last movie we saw. It's Teen Spirit. I love that movie so much. Um, the first, the first song from it dropped on Spotify the day after I'm we shocked. came back. And I've listened to it on repeat since we've gotten home. Um, I know. Um, and it has absolutely nothing to do with Max Minghella. I was excited for it before I met him. Um, but it's, uh, it's his directorial debut and he made a movie about, you know, we, it's a movie we've seen countless times. Young girl joins a singing competition and wants to to become famous um but i think what this movie does that stuff like vox lux or you know her smell or other movies out there this is an apparels of fame movie which i really appreciate it it's more of a, a young girl trying to get out of her small town and find out who she is while also feeling that she deserves some recognition and I mean, it's it's got a beautiful aesthetic that people are either gonna love or they're gonna say, "Oh, he should just direct music videos." Like I can see people hating this movie um, because it is so rapid fire. There's a lot of jump cutting. There's a lot of really just like cool shots. But I was just totally into it. And Elle Fanning is fantastic. I I want her to finally transition to adult roles. I think her playing, you know, seventeen is is you know, she can do it, but I would love to see her actually play like a 21 year old at some point. Cause that's what she is. Um, but I love the music. I love the story. Um, I just, I was in love with everything this movie laid out. So I was, I, it was the movie I was excited to see. It was my most anticipated that I wanted to make time for. <laughs> and I was so happy. I, I looked at Karen right before it started. I was like, please let this be good. Because if it sucked on top of everything else, I would have just been like, okay, we're done um so yeah that was that was pretty awesome um so yeah we we saw some good movies even if the festival kind of was terrible everywhere else um we did and i also just really quickly want to say that i've been excited for a year for taika waititi and jermaine clement's television series what we do in the shadows based on their movie and we got to see the very first episode and it not only met my expectations, it exceeded them. I loved it, and I cannot wait. Karen dragged me to that. Yay! Happy that it was good. I did like it, although I still don't get the Taika Waititi thing either. Because you're wrong. Because <laughs> you don't know I have, joy. <laughs> Lauren, I have a video I'm going to email to you because it's glorious. Okay. I took, I recorded their entire opening because Taika and Jermaine came out and introduced the show. And I recorded pretty much the entire thing. It's like five minutes long of them just doing this like 
really funny bit and it's great i'm gonna email it to you <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Kim, Kim's right, Kristen. You don't know Joy. <laughs> it's true. Well, it's speaking true. of Joy, we're going to close things out with the movie review. Not a movie that is out in theaters because we didn't see uh, one this week because we were out. But we all, well, three out of four of us watched Triple Frontier beforehand. Um, mostly because I just really wanted to talk about it. I could have <laughs> talked about this on my own. I was fully prepared to have this be like a thirst trap segment. And then I found out Karen watched it and then Kim watched it. So I was like, well, we should make this a thing. Um, and Lauren watched good movies instead. Lauren, <laughs> I actually would love to hear Lauren talk about this because I know it's not for her, but I just kind of want to hear her rail against it. Um, <laughs> Triple Frontier is the long delayed follow-up from J.C. Chandor that started out as a Catherine Bigelow directed film. It was supposed to be. And then that didn't happen. And then it just like floundered. She still executive produced it. And her That's partner, right. Mark Bull, um, got, retained a co-writing. Correct. Credit, correct. Though his script is like 10 years old. Right. Um, so this was a movie that was always meant for the big screen and then ended up on Netflix. Um, and it's got a cadre of people, including my beloved Oscar Isaac and Ben Affleck's there. And Jared and like, Oscar Isaac's beloved, allegedly, yeah, Pedro Pascal's there, um, and Jared and Hudland, uh, otherwise known as Charlie Hunnam and Garrett Hedlund. They are one man, though I consider them one. Um, and it's the story. It's essentially Sorcerer. If anybody's seen that movie from the seventies, um, it's essentially a remake of that. Um, with a group of guys who are ex-military that go into the wilds of what, I don't remember what country they're in. I don't even think they say. In, insert South American insert country Insert South here. American country. They go into a South American country to rob a drug dealer of all his money and they're going to keep it for themselves because, damn it, they deserved it. And then they foolishly have to figure out how to get $250 million over. It's the Andes, so it's got to be somewhere near the Andes. Um, so that's... And then shit gets real, shit man. Shit gets real. Shit gets it, real. It takes 56 <laughs> minutes of a two-hour movie for shit to get real. Um, I watched this the day I came home. My mom and I watched it. It took me three days to get through this movie. Um, and it's not that it's bad. It's just the basic bitch of movies. Like, it's just a very... <laughs> plain story about like a group of hoorah soldier guys who feel that they want some money and like they're gonna fuck over the drug dealer not like try to help the you know country or anything like that they just want to get paid uh there is actually a hilarious line about paying ben affleck uh, something about your kids can we can pay Harvard to take your kids and I was like oh, oh that yeah. joke didn't yeah. age well did <laughs> the timing was amazing <laughs> I was like oh so Ben Affleck was going to get arrested after Laurie Laughlin okay um but but for me it was just really plain um you know they they get the money and then they have to figure out a way to get the money out and then like south by southwest level complications happen and they they realize they, sure. they have to climb a mountain they gotta go around the mountain they gotta go on a white water rafting thing with like 200 million dollars in cash uh, yeah and the 250 million dollars eventually starts dwindling and at a certain point i was just like dude 
it ain't worth it after we hit like a, you know, like, like a hundred thousand. At that point, I'd just be like, you know, I'm done. Okay. It was like 250 million is worth something. The money we have left isn't even worth repairing the shoes I used to get through here. Um, so I was less than impressed with the story, but Oscar Isaac, I was so happy. He's trying guys. He's back to being shiny and, and doing good. And, he looks fantastic. And I just kept hitting my mom and she didn't care. And then she hit me back at a certain point. And she's like, stop hitting me. I don't care about how good Oscar Isaac's hair looks in the scene. Um, you mean he doesn't look like he's wandering around in a de- depressed he haze? He doesn't in his look movie? like, yeah, he doesn't look like Michael Sarah in Arrested Development doing the Charlie Brown walk. <laughs> <laughs> he actually looks adorable i was for it uh that's my that's my boo i want him to do that all the time (laughs) and so much speaking of the spanish oh my god it's i forgot how much i missed that (laughs) if anybody had just told me that that was gonna be a thing i would have watched it on wednesday actually i tried to watch it on the plane on wednesday because i downloaded it and i fell asleep not because of the movie but because i was fucking tired but um yeah I, you're you're nicer than Karen, I am. That you movie should always know that Oscar Isaac could spontaneously speak Spanish, and you should be there regardless. He should spontaneously speak Spanish more often. Is what you, I'm YouTube YouTube but, he does it often, and it's fucking okay. fantastic. Um, it's Kim, what do you think great. of the movie? I'm right there with you. I I just found it so incredibly dull. I just I just finished watching it about 20 minutes ago. So I don't have scholarly film critic thoughts, but I will freely admit this in front of everybody. I watched this for objectification purposes and I was sorely disappointed. Sorely, there sorely disappointed. There's so many clothes but- in this movie. There's so, so there should have been so much fewer clothes. I mean, I could They're deal in with the Andes. So. I, I was gonna say I wanted some shirtless hiking through the Andes. I mean, that's <laughs> waste of film. But I did watching something that was so over the top broy. I just had to think, what do we call you know when when a film is you know geared towards women? You know what is it? It's a chick flick. And what does Hollywood do? Knocks chick flicks. We, you know, we make excuses for chick flicks. We insult chick flicks. We do, you know, we we don't even want to call them chick flicks because that term is so loaded. But yet a movie like this can really court men with the most boring, basic narrative (laughs) and do little else to, you know, do it. This is oorah military movie at its finest. And, and the sad thing is, is if you've watched an 80s, like, action military movie, like, like a... At least they're like, funny. Yeah, At exactly. least 80s were quippy. Like, anything Robert Forrester made in the 80s, like, those movies are fun. And they have, they have a story that is compelling. Like, I was like, I wanted... I wanted Ben Affleck to go Colonel Kurtz on somebody's ass or something. For I wanted this movie to go bananas with the plot and it's just so dour and then aside okay. from Oscar Isaac and Pedro Pascal hugging there was <laughs> nothing pulling me into that movie whatsoever I okay this is where I say I want to see Netflix's numbers because unlike you guys I actually didn't dislike this movie I thought it was 
I, I didn't love it. I wasn't like, wow, that movie's great. I'm going to watch it again immediately four times. No. But I actually thought it was fine. And I was entertained by fine it. Fine is a great, fine is a great word for it. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and and I was entertained. I, I wasn't bored by it when I actually was awake enough to sit down and watch it. And I thought it was a very well-produced version of some of those 80s movies that you're talking about. Like, I thought that the production value was actually pretty good. And this is where I'm like, yeah, I think Netflix skews toward middle-aged people, particularly middle-aged white people, which I happen mm-hmm. to be. Which I, I so... can agree with, considering the other Netflix movie they have coming out, which I told you was a movie made for dads. Yeah. yeah the Highway, in case I... anybody... I also like that oh, one, too. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> I was to figure out yeah. what movie you're talking about. Yeah, The Highwaymen, which comes out in a couple of weeks, which I was just like... Oh, Kristen and I had some disagreements about that I was also well. bored. I was more bored by that movie than I was this movie. Um, no, no, I think you're completely right. I, I feel like I want to see demographics, because this mm-hmm. Triple Frontier is a prime example of demographics. It's not made for anybody but a very specific group of people. Oh, yeah. That's not made for me. It's not clearly. even necessarily Oscar bait. You know, it's not. No, no. Oh, it's not. hell no. Hell it's no. not a movie that, this is... that I would say would win any awards. It's not even a movie. I would struggle to try to figure out if this was released theatrically. Like, I would see this. No, I think it should have been. I think if it had been, it wouldn't have made like hundreds of millions of dollars. But I but could see this in like a January type of film. Yeah. Well, this yep. year it would have saved January. I think it would have done really well if it had come out in January. But I think that even in March it would have done fine. Not up against Captain Marvel, it wasn't going to win. But I think it, I think it would have done a respectable amount of business at the theaters if they had released it theatrically. It's the best Oscar Isaac okay. movie in the last like three years. So. Take that. It's the best Oscar Isaac movie since The Last Jedi. Oh, that's right. Well, that's true. Okay, so it's the best Oscar Isaac movie since The Last Jedi. It's the best lead role that he's had. Lead. Okay. I'll take The last five years. Um, And ladies, if you are obsessed with Oscar Isaac's ass, which is apparently a huge thing on Twitter, ladies love it. Um, You are in luck because this movie is just all about the camera, like, being on his ass all the time. Oh, Yeah. There is some he, like there's some female gaze cinematography yeah, going on. Yeah, mm-hmm. he runs so much. He runs more than so much yeah. running. Tom he's still, he's still no. He is not on par with Tom Cruise. I, I would love nope, to see nope, them nope. run. <laughs> I'd love to see that. I'd love to see Oscar Isaac break his ankle and keep running. Kristen. He could do it. How dare you? Nope. Okay, he'd do it in two languages. Okay. God. It was just nice to see him be hot again. I forgot how much I, I, I missed that. I missed it so very, very much. Mm-hmm. Just want, I just want all of that. Um, it's not a most violent year. It's not. Um, so if, you're, if you think it's going to be that good, it's not, um, which was sad. But it's out. You can watch it on Netflix. You don't have to see Ben Affleck's back chat, which is always... Can we talk briefly, because we skipped it, can we talk briefly about that weird-ass, like, accent thing that Charlie Hunnam yes, is trying to do? Yes, yes, we must talk about this. <laughs> oh. I was just like, is he trying to sound like Johnny Utah? Because he does. I told you I thought Which would make it. sense, since C- Catherine Bigelow was originally supposed to direct this, and Catherine Bigelow directed Point Break. I told you I thought he sounded like Jackson Maine. 
Yeah, but I think he sounds more like Johnny not Johnny Utah. Yeah, no, Cam, Cam, which is Keanu Reeves' character for those who don't remember. Cam, who's right in Point Break? I, I he's am totally doing a surfer broy thing. No, he's got that hairless like Bradley Cooper overall. I gotta lean with Kristen on that one. I you was guys hearing gotta listen again. You gotta gravelly. Listen again. <laughs> he was he doing the gravelly. It's somewhere in between, but it's definitely more of like this this laid back surfer bro guy. That's when he isn't becoming just English. Like his accents. Oh yeah, so there's bad. a couple of times where his real accent sneaks in, and I'm like, wow, how did they miss that? <laughs> I mean, I will, I will admit, I was tuning out for Hunnaman Headland. I was, I was just not there for that at all. I was trying, Headland, but it just was not holding my attention. Karen Headland, I felt through the short straw because I always forget he's here in this movie. Like he has such a, there's an interesting character that's introduced, and then we just forget about him. I think because. Well, and part of the problem is he looks too much like, yeah, yeah, he looks too much like Charlie Hunnam. It's very easy to forget that they're two separate people. <laughs> exactly. No, just give me a movie where Oscar Isaac and Pedro Pascal hang out in South America. And cuddle. And whatever they want to do, okay, I'll, I'll watch it. I mean, I'll, I'll watch it. But yeah, um, I just, I just want more of this. Kind of, and less life itself. Like, that's, there we go. We're going to move forward. <sighs> so, anything else we want to touch on before we close it out? What are we all, what's what's on everybody's agenda this week? Us. Finally seeing yes. us, man. We did not get to see us at South By, so Karen and I will be there. Uh, I think we're all seeing it Tuesday, except for Lauren. <laughs> yep. Except for me, I am in upstate New York, hanging out and being very cold. It's very cold. <laughs> so cold. I long for the sun. I've heard I that there is. I, I won't tell you that it's eighty degrees. Yeah, here. you gotta come down here. I I I came from like when I left New York City. It was reaching sixty, nice and sunny. Like we were finally opening the balcony on my apartment. And I came upstate, is, and we've got two inches of snow. Is hanging out your, with your parents really that worth it? I mean, honestly. <laughs> yeah, how much do you really like your parents, honestly? Well, they, 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 we won't me, tell. they bought me a lot of beer for St. Patrick's Day, so there's that. They, you know. Okay, treasure that relationship. Uh, yeah, so I, I think it's us on Tuesday, and then we have uh, Dumbo next week, which I'm excited for. Colin Farrell, Disney Dilf. What up? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's my favorite time of year, okay? Leave me alone. <laughs> Sexy Colin Farrell, Disney Colin Dilf, Farrell, and period clothes. Yep. I will make, that, it's a special month. <laughs> I will forgive the fact that he is playing a man with one arm, a role that could have gone to an actual amputee. I will set aside my problem. Uh, just be like, Colin Farrell's pretty. Um, but that's going to close out this episode of Citizen Dame. You can tweet us your questions, comments, suggestions to at Citizen Dame Pod. You can listen to the episode wherever you get podcasts. We are on Spotify as well as iTunes. If you're listening on iTunes, help us out and leave us a rating and a review. We do have Facebook. It's facebook.com slash Citizen Dame. Or if you're old-fashioned and you want to email us anything, that's at citizendamepod at gmail.com. And we, of course, have our official website where we discuss classic films on the regular classic films. 
I'm totally segueing into my other podcast. <laughs> uh, where we discuss films regularly at citizendamepod.com. If you go over there uh, now, you're going to be seeing our regular top five. I believe we're honoring Kim for this week's top five. We are. We are. It's her birthday. Uh, of course, you can uh, read uh, Karen's, or Karen, I'm totally losing it right now. First uh, <laughs> Trap and Lauren's Dame Strap columns. We also have reviews. Lauren reviewed Captain Marvel. I have a bunch of South by Southwest reviews and interviews coming out that are going to be on there. So that's at citizendamepod.com. If you want to support us with your money, there's a couple ways to do that. You can buy some merch. We have the Zazzle store at zazzle.com slash citizen day and buy a t-shirt. You can buy a keychain. You can buy that Miss Your Pine notebook that you've had your eye on since I've started promoting it what feels like six years ago. <laughs> <laughs> or if you want to actually get some stuff for your dollar, you can go over to patreon.com slash citizen game. That's our official Patreon. We have all sorts of uh, amazing perks. You can get buttons. You can access these shows uh, 48 hours before everybody else. We also have our upcoming bonus content for the month. We're going to be doing another March Madness draft. Woo! Woohoo! Uh, uh, Karen, what's our theme this this uh, draft? You came up with it. We are talking about movie villains. We want to do very villainous things. Slut it up! <laughs> <laughs> Mine's gonna be a cadre of weird and animated. <laughs> Killmonger. Killmonger will be on that. Killmonger. She's <laughs> gonna be the two of them. <laughs> Kristen asked me if it would be inappropriate to include any animated characters, and I said, Kristen, nope. we won't judge you for your bestiality. <laughs> as long as he is animated. I said, oh, no, wait, how can it be live action? And she just looked at me and she's like, are you talking about animated? Animated characters? No, that's <laughs> No, I think I specifically said yes, Kristen. You can use Scar. I mean, it's either that or like any other villain Jeremy Irons has played throughout his entire. Mm. It's it's not like he hasn't played hundreds. Yeah, ranging mm. from like utterly disgusting to just like a dick. Um, so there you go. So that's Patreon.com/slash/CitizenGame. Um, also, if you want to maybe send us something, but you don't want to commit long term, yeah, you're that person. Uh, <laughs> you can uh, give us some. And we love you. Yes, you can help buy us a coffee, keep Lauren in beer uh, at Ko Fi. We have a Ko Fi account. It's uh, ko ficom citizen game. Uh, it will be awesome for you to find a way to give us your money. So. Uh, we, of course, also have our individual Twitters. Uh, I am at journeys underscore film. Lauren Humphreys Brooks, where are you on the internet? I am at LH Business. Kimberly Pierce. And don't forget, we also have the Citizen Dame Instagram. That's right. Kim, why don't you uh, tell us what, what the Instagram uh, link is and your Twitter? We are, yes, well, my Twitter is at kpierce624. Instagram, we are at Citizen Dame Pod as well. Uh, trying to do a little bit of everything, dropping some, you know, classic female directors and writers and other links to our pieces and just any fun that I can think of as it comes to me. So feel free to hop over there and subscribe. And Karen? I am on Twitter and Instagram at 
Karen M. Peterson. Awesome. So we will be back uh, next week. That's right. I was like, when's the next time? Yeah. Back to the usual. <laughs> yes. So we'll be back next Yeah, week. we're back to our normal. Schedule. That's right. For Yeah, exactly. So we will talk to you all next time. Bye. Aren't you the cutest little thing? Aren't you cute? And what's your name, huh? Gary. What's you? I'll be back.